For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and welcome to the latest, the 150th readout video from our Wednesday wake-up email newsletter, in which we invite you to ponder the question whether we should shoot a moose for Mother Earth. And we also invite you to subscribe to our newsletter and our videos, and if you aren't already one of those who's helped us produce 150 and counting, please support our work. What? You cry? Shoot Bullwinkle? Or perhaps you cry, what? Send money? In which case we say, yes please, and click here. As for the moose, it's astonishing how fragile environmental activists apparently think that the vast and otherwise dynamic and resilient biosphere is whenever human beings show up, as if all it would take to destroy it is Homer Simpson bumping into it. Or, possibly, Akes Alkes. Having lost its sense of the absurd, the Washington Post just bugled, quote, hungry moose thought to be possible factor in climate change, end quote. Moose ate my planet? Are you serious? Apparently they're trying to be. You see, quote, research suggests that moose may factor into a dramatic reduction in the amount of carbon stored in some forests, end quote. Oh, well, research suggests. Need they say more? Well, they do say more including conceding that this is not a job to be tackled with hand tools. Quote, Don't mess with moose. They're big, they're strong. Wherever they feed, the large mammals trample vegetation, affect tree growth, and change soil composition with copious amounts of urine and dung. That's partly due to their voracious appetites. Adult moose can eat up to 60 pounds of food per day, end quote. And, it seems, when they get loose in your Norway, forests can't grow back. Though, here you thought there was this cycle of life, but apparently not. Quote, Researchers said they analyzed 11 years of data on moose in Norwegian forest areas that had been cleared for lumber. Usually, the forest rebounds and saplings and bushes quickly grow back. But when moose are on the loose in these areas, they graze on any and all vegetation, snacking on the saplings that would eventually repopulate those areas of forest and sequester carbon. The moose mostly ate birch, rowan, and willow trees, end quote. Which, of course, is why Norway has no trees, which are then cut down and don't grow back. And there goes your planet as well. Quote, the researchers estimate that by eating up potential carbon sinks, the moose consume the equivalent of 10% of the entire Norwegian forestry industry's annual harvest, cutting carbon storage by up to 60% in those areas, end quote. Mind you, nature is dynamic, so, quote, by clearing the trees, the moose enable more light to reach and bounce off the forest floor. This cools the forest for years until the canopy recovers, the researchers write, end quote. So, the situation is complex, and naturally, we should send them more money. Quote, the scientists say more research is needed to fully understand moose's potential effects on climate, end quote. It's also silly, since meese have been around for something like 5 million years eating trees, which obviously means the trees do grow back. And it also means that if moose were going to cause climate change by eating forests, they'd have already done it. Instead, it was warmer 5 million years ago, and even small amounts of warmth destroy the planet and wipe out charismatic species. Except for the Eocene and Pliocene sloths the size of elephants like Megatherium and Herbivores like Megacerops and even giant beavers like Castoroides. Oh, by the way, the Canadian government apparently didn't get the moose memo, since they're boasting that, quote, Canada supports caribou conservation and none of it, end quote, and forests be hanged, or eaten. Now, in the wide, wide world of climate, all news is bad. 
So, we mentioned last week that global warming will supposedly derail Canada's largely imaginary governmental Canadian Northern Corridor of roads, hydro lines, etc. to open up our Arctic and subarctic, and that's bad. But then, on the subject of Canada's North, global warming, and infrastructure, Global News hyperventilates that Canada's peat bogs are secretly saving us from climate change, though they're not, but evil companies will soon rip them up in a frenzied fit of greed involving, um building roads and hydro lines or something, which is bad. So, roads are bad, no roads are bad, everything is bad, government is good. In the newsletter, we also note that yes, they are coming for your gas stove. For your own good, of course. Indeed, progressive starlet congressperson Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted, quote, Did you know that ongoing exposure to NO2 from gas stoves is linked to reduced cognitive performance, end quote? And the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission is also apparent in our reaching for the valve. Moreover, quote, California Bay Area to start banning gas furnaces and water heaters, end quote, unlike, say, shoplifting, which they seem pretty cool with. As for how the war on affordable, reliable energy is going, well, it depends on your definition of success. In Australia, quote, shock power bill jump to hammer households, end quote. Most people think that's bad, but some people think it's good. Oh, and last week we snarked that the cost of major Canadian infrastructure programs tends, quote, to skyrocket regardless of the weather, end quote. And now the Crown Corporation that took over the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, that's TMX to insiders, and it's intended to get more of Alberta's oil to Canada's west coast for export, which pipeline the federal government regulated and harried and delayed to the brink of death and then bought in 2018 for a bargain basement $4.5 billion, just announced that the cost of the project has somehow leaped to $30.9 billion, up 44% in just one year, and nearly triple the original $12.6 billion estimate. And even this latest figure, quote, doesn't include reserves for extraordinary risks, end quote. Just the usual risks like stunning government incompetence. Unless the aim was to kill the project all along and stick taxpayers with the bill. And Euronews Green gets on the mole train with, quote, the last of us minus the zombie part, how fungi are becoming supercharged by climate change, end quote. And apparently it works like this, quote, the human body temperature is typically too hot for infectious fungi to survive, end quote. So if it gets hotter, they will suddenly kill us all, unless they don't, because it's just science fiction. And speaking of fiction, if you get your science from celebrities, you'll know that the drought in California is man-made and will never end. That noted climate scientist Leonardo DiCaprio at the 2016 London premiere of his eminently forgettable Before the Flood said, quote, the clock has sort of struck the final hour, end quote. Sort of is kind of waffly, though. But then he offered his proof that, quote, my hometown was seeing, quote, a massive unprecedented drought that will not reverse itself, end quote. So, of course, the skies promptly opened, unlike the historical records, which would have shown that worse droughts had happened a century and a half earlier. And then the skies closed again, and opened again, and closed, leading to another California drought that would never end, and did this spring. With a wintry blast that wasn't climate change at all, just weather. Unless it was bad, in which case, well, duh, it was climate. And speaking of celebrity non-scientists, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres bludgeons us with his paraphrase of the conclusion of yet another UN report on the climate emergency crisis catastrophe Armageddon thingy, Quote, we are nearing the point of no return of overshooting the internationally agreed limit of 1.5 degrees Celsius of global warming. The facts are not in question, our actions are. We are at the tip of a tipping point, but it is not too late, end quote. 
Indeed, it is not. It is not too late to admit that you've been fear-mongering irresponsibly and calling other people science deniers when you're the one ignoring science because a major alarmist publication conceded in February that the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming limit was just made up to scare people. Quote, here's the thing. 1.5 degrees, or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, isn't based on any scientific calculation, end quote. Undaunted, the New York Times shouts, quote, Earth is likely to cause a critical threshold for global warming within the next decade, and nations will need to make an immediate and drastic shift away from fossil fuels to prevent the planet from overheating dangerously beyond that level, according to a major new report released on Monday, end quote. Though naturally, quote, there is still one last chance to shift course, the new report says, end quote. And let us guess, if we don't, another one is racked up and ready to fire at us. In the newsletter, we also note that in a perilous confrontation over the Black Sea, two Russian Su-27 combat aircraft harassed and ultimately downed an American drone in international airspace, an action which the U.S. promptly slammed as being mean to the earth in a prissy complaint from its European command that the fighter planes, quote, dumped fuel on and flew in front of the MQ-9 in a reckless, environmentally unsound and unprofessional manner, end quote. Doubtless, when informed of this accusation, Vladimir Putin will raise a horrified hand to his mouth, apologize, withdraw his carbon-spewing forces from Ukraine, and surrender to the IPCC to be tried. This week's newsletter also began a new series showing readers where to find interesting and useful climate data sources online. We've tagged it Cool Climate Data, because this is our idea of cool. And we start with the RainSphere webpage developed at the Center for Hydrometeorology and Remote Sensing at the University of California, San Diego. It gives you a worldwide view of rainfall rates and trends, and you can zoom in wherever you like and then choose a date range between 1983 and the present, and then look at average and total rainfall or trends over time. And you can compare observed historical trends with IPCC model predictions, which is a temptation we can't resist. So, here's the satellite-based record of rainfall trends around the world from 1983 to the present. Red means less rain, and the grayish-purple bit is where there was more. And now here are the projected changes from the present to 2100 based on the IPCC's RCP 4.5 scenario. Isn't it rather strange how the theoretical computer model future looks so different from the actual real-world data, even though we've supposedly been experiencing climate heating breakdown for decades? And speaking of models, a new study by Italian physicist Nicola Scavetta takes a new look at the 41 climate models the IPCC currently uses, with a range in guesses about ECS, that's how much the temperature goes up if atmospheric CO2 doubles, from 1.8 to 5.7 degrees Celsius. Which seems a pretty high variance if the science is so all-fired settled, since 1.8 would be nothing to worry about, and 5.7 pretty much would constitute the sky being on fire. So, which is it? Well, he checked the models against the real-world data, and he found that the ones that performed best were the ones that thought that ECS was low and there was no crisis. Finally, from the CO2Science.org archive, we get yet another study of how well coral reefs are doing in Australia, and it turns out that they're just fine yet again. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I'm not hunting any planet-munching moose in the near future. <laughs>